pretty hot and bothered. I'm in Panama, somewhere in Panama. Where are we? Santa Clara, Panama. And we're under what they call El Rancho. Um, in other parts of the continent, or in Mexico, they were calling these things palapas, but basically they're a, it's a thatched roof sort of shelter. Um, this one's a very flash one. It's got very nice furniture, uh, a fan. It's keeping us nice and cool. And we're staying at the a campground. It's actually a proper campground. There's like a uh, RV over there, although we just had the Department of Transport investigators there uh, <laughs> knocking on it going, is that your RV? Oh, there's something dodged. It's probably like Pablo Escobar's RV over there or something. It's been abandoned. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we're at a normal kind of campsite. It's really strange to be here. It's got a strange name as well. It's called Excess Memories. Um, capital X, capital S, Memories. Uh, I don't really know what that means. And a sort of a bit of a weird sports bar. It's, it's run by some North American person. Oh, okay. Well, that's why they charged us $18 yeah. uh, for two burgers, kind of measly, and two beers and a plate of chips. Don't, um, please don't remind me about that. Oh, it's about four times of what we'd normally pay on this <laughs> continent. But anyway, welcome to well. the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. It's an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we turn our pedals around and around and round and round and round and, and round some more in uh, Central America. We cycled in London, check. We cycled in Europe, check. We cycled a bit in Cuba, check. We cycled from Cancun almost to Panama City and really we're not sure where to from here though we do know it will end with a beautiful ride up the wonderful, the majestic Hutt Valley of New Zealand. In breaking news, we have reached our 8,000 kilometer boiled egg moment. So we've pedaled 8,000 kilometers on this journey and we celebrated with a couple of eggs. Um, yeah, we did it. I, I kind of don't really, I can't, I can't really believe it and it's hard to understand what that means. I almost want to calculate how many times that would be riding from Upper Hutt to Wellington or something, just to, you know. Yeah, well, that's, uh, Upper Hutt to Wellington is about 40k or something, I think. 35, <laughs> 40k. So you've done a fair few trips down the motorway into town there. Um, I mean, 8,000k, well, how much do we cycle in Europe? About 4,200 odd? Yeah, yeah, we So did. we've almost done the same distance in Central America, crossing Central America as we did across Europe. I don't know, I dare say we've done a lot more climbing uh, here in Central America, but yeah, 8,000 kilometres, you're just running up a few sums here on yeah. your calculator at the moment. <laughs> I should be able to calculate that in my head, but I'm too lazy. Shelley's pulled her calculator out of her breast pocket <laughs> and uh, is running the numbers. It's 200 times we've cycled from a part to Wellington. 200 times? That's the equivalent, yeah. That doesn't seem much. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, imagine if someone works in Wellington and they cycle in. Uh, to work every day mm -hmm. um, that's half their year they've just done what we've done yeah so it's not really that big a deal is it no um, in other news uh, Baden's commitment to our marriage has <laughs> taken a backward step um, <laughs> um, you've got to let me explain that maybe a bit later on <laughs> Last episode, we were at a sloth sanctuary near Puerto Viejo in Costa Rica, wondering if Panama was just all bananas and hats. And now we know it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, not really. <laughs> well, yeah, but... there is a lot of bananas. I don't know, fewer hats than we thought. But <laughs> but with the bananas, it was quite interesting. Um, in Costa Rica, I saw a lot of um, mechanized production, especially as we did that last bit from where we recorded the podcast in Puerto Viejo to the border. There was like a big... Um, Chiriki factory and what's it not called Chiriki Chiquita Chiquita, Chiquita. and uh, they had sort of mechanized production so they take the bananas off the vine and then hang them up on like a cable train type thing and then that takes them to the warehouse where they get packed and then shipped oh so they're just like dang that was that thing that was dangling the bananas and they were going yeah traveling into the factory traveling into the factory and um also we saw in costa rica a lot of containers with chiquita and dole Mm -hmm. i know some of those banana names that you know from home Mm. um but then when we crossed into panama i'm not quite sure what's changed in the banana industry but we saw a lot more cooperatives yeah. Um, and signs outside this little co-op saying uh, fair trade bananas. Hmm. Uh, you know, that fair trade sign. You know when you buy a packet of fair trade bananas in the supermarket, that. So, um, and, and the other thing we've seen is lots of pickup trucks filled with bananas. <laughs> yeah, we've, we were quite sort of amazed that we haven't seen more bananas lying around on the highway because the, these pickup trucks, they're just like a ute really, um, they're stacked absolutely to the brim uh, with these big green bananas and that there's nothing sometimes holding them in and you just think, how are they all staying how they're not like flying out all over the place, but um, they're sort of still on the the trunk of the tree, aren't they? And I guess they're all held together like that. Yeah, I mean, we do when we're cycling along, you do see small bunches of bananas, green oh, bananas, lying on the side of the road. Like, only yeah, very occasionally, I mean, like it is amazing. One. You would think that they'd have to have some sort of tarp over the bananas yeah. to hold them all in, but literally, you know, and these bananas are stacked so high. I think we've got a picture, yeah, don't we? We'll, we'll yeah, on. we'll put a picture on our on, on our website on this podcast page mm. uh, where you can see, you know, how they, you know, some. It's really strange too. You see the tires on these, um, well, you know, the weight of the pickup trailer, uh, the trail, whatever, the pickup sort of weighing down on the two rear axles. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's off bananas. Yeah. You know, you, you pick up bananas, pretty light. But, you know... Didn't you, you ask that guy how many would it be in there? Yeah, he said 5,000. So this guy we saw, you know, um, he was sort of repacking his bananas and uh, he saw, he, he reckoned he had 5,000 bananas in there. And they just, these guys, they drive around to all the big um, sort of supermarket. They call them, either their um, grocery stores are called mini supers or the supermarkets which everyone here calls chinos and they're they're normally run by chinese people um and they travel around in their trucks and they stop in and say do you want you know do you want to buy any platanos or bananas or whatever and then the people will take however many they want and then they go on to the next place so yeah these chinese supermarkets are a little bit of a phenomenon in themselves really i mean i'm apparently um 10 percent of the panamanian population is chinese oh, okay. yeah but we've seen some pretty harsh kind of racism, really, didn't you? You know, the other day when you were in the shop and they were calling out, Chino, Chino, trying to get the um, lady's attention. Yeah, no, they weren't They weren't really yelling at her, but they just were saying to her, calling her China, like, China, mm. give me one of these. China, I want two of those. Yeah. And I was like, uh, okay, is her name Sheena? Or yeah. <laughs> what's going on here? And, yeah, when you say, oh, is there a shop nearby? They say, yeah, there's a China uh, there's, a a, there's a chino just down there or if it's a small Chinese shop a chinita so <laughs> oh 
it, it's really it's, it is really strange and but you, you really don't see like panamanians owning these shops it really is yeah. mostly chinese people that yeah. own these shops yeah. um and i remember when we stayed with um a warm showers host he was saying that Chinese people come here, work hard, save money, and then they grow their businesses. Whereas he was saying Panamanian people or, you know, indigenous people less so. But I mean, that's one person's opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're going to find when we get to Panama City is how really split this um, population is. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see a lot more middle class, I think, when we get to Panama City. It's a, it's, it's a strange old, it's a sort of strange old society. But anyway, with the bananas, you'd be thinking we'd be eating bananas all the time, right? You know, uh, often you go to these chinos, <laughs> these supermarkets, or whatever, and you not we don't even can't even find any bananas to eat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's either because they're all rotten, they've been sitting there for days, yeah. or, or they're like green and hard, and you can't access them. <laughs> we um, cycled through a town today that uh, made us curious about the possibility of um, getting hold of a Panama hat for you. We haven't seen that many people wearing them, but you used to have one. When I first met you, you used to have one. I thought it was quite a cool hat. Thank um, you. Would you like to get another one sometime? Yeah, I would. I mean, I mean, my Panama hat's 10 years old. I hope we ship that back to New Zealand from London. I can't remember that going there in a box. I surely wouldn't chuck it out. It would fit no one else's head. <laughs> but um, that hat is holding together remarkably well. They are, they, these hats are generally made very well. Still, um, you could do with a new one, right? Yeah, I suppose I do deserve one. Panama is supposed to be famous for its hats. And to be honest, uh, we haven't really seen that many people wearing the old Panama hat, apart from dudes in the countryside or old-looking sort of farmer dudes in a cafe. <laughs> yeah, that guy over here. And But the reason why that guy over there has probably got one on is because apparently if you want to get a Panama hat, you've got to come to this town. And we're in a town called, what is it, Penonome? Penonome. And uh, this is where, if you want a Panama hat, you come here. Apparently, you know, only politicians only wear those hats when they want to sort of connect with the people. But <laughs> the big challenge is, we're here on the side of the road. We can see a man uh, selling Panama hats, and we need to try and see if he can find one that's big enough to fit my significantly large crown. Hola, Hola señor. Creo que no tiene un sombrero que, que lleva bien. ¿Cuál es, es lo más grande? So we need your biggest hat, sir. So the thing with the Panama hat, actually they were apparently designed originally in Ecuador. But uh, what the Panamanians have done is they've created these sort of thin, uh, dark lines that go around them and then they've woven the sides all together so you get a very crisp, okay. uh, very firm edge to it. Okay, so... Oh, well, that does seem quite big. Does it fit? No. Oh my God. Okay, the first one doesn't fit. I mean, maybe they're designed to stretch a bit, but we've got a much bigger one here. This is like, I feel like it's Goldilocks and the Three Bears trying to like, this one that was just a little bit too soft. Uh, the thing is with these hats, none of them seem to have sizes on it. We're just trying to... That one's, that one's better. It's better, but it's 
really not getting on. Okay, so what we're learning is that most Panamanian men uh, don't have as heads don't have heads as large as this one. Oh, this is uh, this is embarrassing. Has a few more, but I think they all look about the same. Okay. No, that one no. Okay. I don't know. I think we can conclude here that there is not a Panama hat that's going to fit me. Oh, baby. Oh. No. No. Gracias, señor. Our new favourite drink is cane juice. Sugar cane juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we um, we stayed with uh, a warm showers host in Punta Peña and the shop um, just around the corner that's on the main road there, out the front they have this machine and you can hear it in the background and it takes sugar canes and it pulls all the juice out of them. So it just presses all of the juice out of them um, and it's a real old-fashioned they knew weren't there at the time but it's I was having a somewhat medical emergency which we'll uh, come back to <laughs> um, it's this really old-fashioned hand-cranked old kind of iron machine and it needs to you know these canes these sugar canes they're quite thick they're about oh, what diameter is that sort of 10 centi centimeter diameter and quite a hard you know shell on the outside and it has to kind of crush them and then all the juice runs down a sort of sluice uh, and out into a bucket um, so yeah we we were outside the shop and I was there with the shopkeeper and her do his daughter Nye this lovely little seven-year-old girl um, and there's this big rack and it's got uh, pieces of cane in it they're about a meter long and you just take those and you shove them in the machine and you make as much juice as you want Primero hay que conseguir un tanque que esté limpio. Ajá, sí. Después hay que quitar toda, toda la, todas las cosas de la caña usada. Uh -huh. Y hay que encender el motor. Así. Sí, wow. Y así se enciende la máquina en completo. Después, después tienes que poner, tienes que poner el tanque en ese lugar. Little Nye explaining about how to use the machine. So she's saying you've got to clean the machine first to get rid of all the bits of old cane, and then you um, put the cane in and press it through once, and then you fold it over and press it back through again, and all of the juice will flow down into a bucket. And what builds up on top of the juice is this um, foam, this espuma or espumita, as she says. And in that foam are all little tiny shards of cane. So at the end, you have to scoop that off with, um, you know, a sieve or something like that, and then underneath you are left with the delicious cane juice but it is a very um, nice saying there a very noisy and messy job when we were standing next to the machine the cane juice was spraying all over us so it just goes absolutely everywhere what's it like to drink wow okay I mean it's 
it's kind of like nothing else I've ever had before. It's green, first of all. You think when you drink it that um, you're just going to taste sugar granules all the time, but not at all. Only when you get near the end of the gallon bottle and stuff that we're drinking out of, do you get a bit of a granular mm. flavour, but it is really tasty. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not like, you know, you'd think, oh, sugary drink is old cane juice. It'd be like Raro or some sort of packet, uh, a packet mixed drink. But no, no, it's um, it, it tastes like juice. <laughs> yeah, it's not sickly, but actually it was quite good when we squeezed a little bit of lemon into it just to bring the sweetness back a little bit. And it was really drinkable. And obviously it gives you a lot of energy. It's very good for you. It's got um, chlorophyll in it as well. So it's got, you know, it's completely natural and completely fresh. But one of the... Um, downsides to it is that because it's got such a high sugar content it ferments after one day so if you don't drink it in the first day and you don't freeze it that's it it's it's already turning into booze <laughs> <laughs> and it's charlie's favorite drink isn't it um no charlie he doesn't we were saying oh charlie um where do you get your drinking water oh i don't drink i don't drink water i just drink cane juice and uh, coconut water yeah it was amazing yeah, what a guy. So Charlie um, uh, agreed to host us for a couple of nights. So um, we stayed with him in the in his kind of house that he has next to a river. He also has a farm as well, but he's got this house and he's sort of building a hostel on the back of it. Uh, we were a bit useless at helping him, weren't we? We're not very construction minded, <laughs> but um, what a fantastic and interesting guy to talk to. Yeah, Charlie's got plants all around his house and he's really passionate about them. So we're sort of asking him, you know, what do these mean to you? They mean oxygen and they mean life, you know, because without them and the planet looks like that, we're all dead, you know, mm -hmm. because nobody can breathe because there's no oxygen, there's no way to purify the oxygen. Mm -hmm. So the plants are very essential to live, you know. <coughs> I like to plant fruit trees because fruit trees has a double identity. They give food and they also purify the world. That's their, you know, they have a double benefit. Do you think other people in Panama feel like the same way as you? Maybe there's one or two out of the million, no? Or the few million. Most people feel that they gotta cut the land back to have cow and stuff, no? Because this is how they wanna get money. Plus, that's what they eat, too, you know, so, like, that's how they think, too, you know. So it's like, people are very destructive. Are things changing? Have you noticed a lot of changes here in Panama while you've been here? How, how long have you been here? I've been here since 1979. When I first came to Chiriqui Grande or to Punta Pena, <coughs> All of this you see back in there and up in that away and back in that away was jungle. Mm -hmm. There was no grassland here, or if there was, it was just a little bit. Mm -hmm. But now you're looking at like 90%, you know? Mm. So like, yeah. Plus when I first came here, it was different. It was cooler and it wasn't hot. And we didn't have the climate change thing or anything like that. And but now things just like has changed a lot. It rains different. <clears throat> there will come times when it when there is no uh, no rain, and a lot of the little plants will die, and little, little rivers will dry up and stuff. 
and I'm sure a lot of the animals will die in the jungles too. And in the future there will be forest fires too, which will devast what little bit of the jungle is left because there will be heavy dry seasons now because climate change is affecting the rainy seasons. It's not going to be like a tropical jungle like where it rains every couple of days or something, you know, and, and stays wet, you know, and humid, you know. It will be dry, you know, like California and Oregon and those places where they have those big forest fires. People won't really be prepared for that. Well, that's part of the game, no, of life, no. Nobody's prepared for what they actually create because they're unconscious of what they're doing, so sure they're not going to be prepared. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so you came to Panama and you bought a farm, or well, you got a farm, and yeah. you hung out here for a while after traveling yeah. for a long time. Yeah, I traveled around, seen the world, seen what I could, you know, <laughs> hung out, you know, and learned a lot of things, you know, and when I got to here, it was, it looked good, and it was nice, you know, and interesting, so I just started hanging out here, you know, and got land, you know, and started living, mm. and just became a person who lives here. Since we left Charlie, we've been on our way to the capital of Panama City and, uh, well, it's been quite a challenge, hasn't it? We've really knocked over the, you know, the kilometres. We climbed a glorious hill. Uh, I mean, it wasn't glorious when we were bloody chugging up there, spilling our guts all over the road, just trying <laughs> to, like, yank our way up this bloody hill. But, um, uh, you know, they're always really rewarding at the top. And you know, we had that fresh pineapple on the side of the road there and you know, looked out over the view and then, yeah, started dropping down. I had really dodgy breaks at that point. Nice. But yeah, that was a um, the great. What was the great thing about that hill is that you could look back to the Caribbean yeah. and at the top, and then on the other side you get to the top and you can look out down towards the Pacific, uh, the Pacific Ocean. We couldn't see it uh, on the day we were there, but sort of the cloud and down below the valley was really something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was super beautiful for me. Um, I remember when we were talking about that day, uh, you know, what was in store and you said, oh, you know, I think it's going to be about, you know, a thousand metres climbing. And then um, at one point we checked how much we'd climbed and it was 1,600 metres and we went, ooh, something's gone wrong with the calculations. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we actually ended up doing about 2,000 metres. So it was a, a really, really massive day. But we got through it okay and we were kind of rewarded at the end of it, right? Yeah, we had our first night in a bomberos. They're the firemen. Um, and we heard, you know, through the cycle touring grapevine that uh, if you're stuck for accommodation, a bombero uh, fire station would generally try and put you up. And we've tried a couple of times in Costa Rica to no avail. But we rolled into Gualaca the other night. What was it? Saturday night, I think. And uh, the firemen were more than happy for us to stay. And it was really great. You know, it's got a shower. It's, uh, you know, somewhere safe and off the, off the road. So, yeah. yeah, we had a really good night with the old bomberos. Yeah. They helped us uh, fix our bikes a bit. And we slept on the stage of the station auditorium. I think they do, like, training and briefings there and things. So that was quite an interesting, uh, interesting night, wasn't it? Yeah, and, you know, kind of speaking of support, we've 
had just so much support on the road from people on the side of the road either being you know kind to us and um, waving to us or thumbs up and things like that to people driving as well especially the truck drivers who sometimes scare the bejesus out of me when they're like tooting on their way past us but mostly yeah it's been it's been awesome and it really really helps you know uh, sometimes you're in the zone and you kind of don't notice but most of the time we give them a wave back or um, you know really appreciate the the kind of the attention and the encouragement yeah it does pick you up sometimes doesn't it you know Definitely. there have been bits on this um, riding on the inter-american where it's been really rough uh, you know, there's roadworks and things and um, you, know, you start getting a bit down but then someone gives you a toot and then they're yelling out the window venga venga you know yeah. come on come on and yeah, yeah you know that, do, that does actually help so uh, to all those Panamanians out there listening to the How Are You Where Are You podcast <laughs> we thank you we salute you but also the other motorcycle tourists that we've seen on the road so so far we've seen hardly any at all and in the last kind of three or four days we've seen so many and they look so like they're so huge on their big bikes with their big clothes on and a couple of them had like GoPros on their helmets and they come through, they kind of like look like the Terminator or something and they give you this like slow wave, gloved wave, you know, like, yeah. like very cool. But it's been really nice to see them, you know, and see people out on the road who, you know, are sort of in the same boat as you. Um, although obviously they're moving a hell of a lot faster. Yeah, it's quite funny <laughs> where um, we uh, met this guy, Nick, um, who really kindly stopped on the side of the road when we were trying to fix our bike and he's from um, Britain and he's cycling, well, I suppose he's cycling the length of the Americas, he started in New York and now he's in Panama and um, yeah he uh, you know, just sort of typified that sort of you know, kindness and, and friendship from sort of the fellow traveller but anyway he was saying to us when he was fixing um, helping us fix a brake he was saying oh I'm off to um, Santiago for breakfast well Santiago was our destination point for that day and it was what another 80k or something down the road we're like oh screw you Nick you know like <laughs> the speed that you can travel is so it's just not fair uh, Nick was actually one of the few people apart from you who wished me happy birthday in you know person on my birthday um, so yeah that's the other thing that happened since we left Charlie I turned 33 getting quite a lot of support baby have you noticed? I know, people have been really friendly. A guy just before was going, um, Afuera is más rápido. Yeah? Más mejor, you know, like it's much better to take these sort of roadworks, lanes of roadworks where they've just put down the fresh uh, seals. Oh. They haven't opened up the road to everyone else. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was going, get on the outside, you know, it's, it's much better, it's much faster. But, uh, We've had a lot of support today, but man, it's been a tough day, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it's not over. <laughs> Is this what you imagined your birthday ride to be? I didn't... Real grind? I mean, I kind of assumed I'd be cycling on my birthday, but I didn't think... Yeah. I don't think we'd be trying to do, like, nearly 100 kilometers on my birthday on like the most road-workingest road-worked highway ever. Yeah, I think there have been roadworks pretty much for the last 200 kilometers. Ooh, and that was thunder as well coming. Great. So we've got, just when the road is getting a bit better, we've got another test coming. So my top back tire Hola. is pretty bald. Um, 
had my brakes fail this morning and it took us, what, an hour and a half, two hours to fix on the side of the road before our friend Nick, who we met at a bar the day before, who's a motorcycle tourist, he came by and uh, he's got a much more mechanical mind than us. <laughs> and he managed to slot those brakes into place. But uh, it's been a trying day. The, the road has been absolute rubbish. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, if you had any thoughts on your birthday, Charles, of riding along a beautifully paved Panamanian road, along, you know, palm trees along the side, plenty of shade, and lots of things to see and do along the way. And maybe a delicious lunch stop somewhere with a, with a cold beer. Yeah, all these bakeries on the side of the road. No, we haven't had that. <laughs> Yeah, we woke up in a dog kennel essentially, we're filthy, we bathed out of a bucket uh, and camped in someone's yeah, back garden, garden in their dog kennel and now we are about to get drenched in a storm. <laughs> There's gotta be birthday to show! <laughs> There's gotta be a cold beer at the end of it though. Balboa! <laughs> One of the other exciting things we got to do in Panama was to visit a hospital just to check out, you know, the uh, health health system here in Panama. Baden, would you like to explain? Yeah, we just want to check out the health system, you know, get a bit of minor surgery done. <laughs> um, crikey. Well, so <laughs> we had left, we, I don't know, we, we've mentioned in this podcast, we were staying on these little islands off the coast, the northern coast of Panama in the Caribbean called Bocas del Toro. And we'd, we'd left Bocas and we're on this sort of tough road, getting there at the end of the day, heading towards Charlie's place, on a descent, and this bee lands on me. And Wasp, bee, something. It's, it was something. I mean, it must have been a bee, yeah. uh, although I'm pretty sure it had blue on it. Okay. Anyway. Maybe some tropical fly. Anyway, <laughs> it landed on my it's finger. laid eggs in your finger. Yes, yeah, laid eggs there. It landed on my finger, my ring, my ring finger with my little wedding ring on it. And um, I was like, get off my ring finger! Just like tried to flick it away and uh, it didn't go. And then when I, even though I flicked it, it stayed on and then it stung me. And then I just like grabbed it off and flicked it away, stopped my bike. And then I, uh, there was like a sting in, on my finger and I pulled wow. it out and it had all this goo. Uh that the bee thing had left behind. Oh. I was like, oh, this is a bit dodge. And I said to Shelly, oh, I wonder if this is gonna swell up. Shall I take off my wedding ring? What did you say? I said, oh, your finger's probably a bit swollen up from the heat already, so it'll probably be too hard to take off. Yeah, so we carried on and uh, it started swelling up a bit that night, didn't it? Yeah. But overnight, it was kind of, sore and when we were sleeping and woke up in the morning and it was throbbing basically um the whole finger looked like it exploded there was like big blisters forming um all the blood and stuff was trying to come there anyway oh. it was really disgusting was these, all this blood had pulled under the skin and there were and there were actual little blisters on the skin and it yeah. was like the, the finger was like sos freaking out here you guys have to help me and it was all swollen up around the the wedding ring yeah 
So we there was no choice really. We had to try and get the ring off. Um, we looked on um, YouTube. <laughs> that was no help. Charlie offered to get it off with an angle grinder. We wisely decided not to go for that option. And then finally, late in the afternoon, we decided, okay, we'll go to bloody hospital. Yeah, so I had to go down the road. The doctor told me to go down the road and buy a file, a triangular-shaped file. And so I managed to secure that, and Dr. Espinosa took it from there. This ring is getting totally destroyed. Oh. Oh. Um, el dolor, dolores en la cima, otro lado. Sí, a little rest. It's just gonna. Oh. Mm, baby. <laughs> I think he's going to try and tear it again. Shit, it's really brutal, man. Oh, yes. Muy cerca. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> just. Ahora me toca mi pull it, pull it. No suelte, no no suelte. He's just pulling as hard as he can and it won't open. Okay, it's it's close. Okay. Oh. Okay. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think you're free. Ah. Oh my god, it's off. Listo. Cero dedos. No quiere ver yeah, you got a little bit brutalized. <laughs> oh, there's gold in the file. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh man. That wasn't fun. Baron de verdad. You Okay. Baden, we're leaving the medical center now, the trauma unit. Hospital de Chiriqui Grande. Yep. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of a 
kind of traumatic adventure in the end, but uh, the ring is off the finger. Uh, blood seems to be flowing into the finger, and hopefully it'll be um, all better soon. But um, Dr. Espinosa in there, he sort of filed away with the file that you went down to the hardware store to buy, and we subsequently donated it to the hospital for the next person that needs something filed off them. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was, oh my god, it's, it's just a bit of a weird thing to happen, but um, I don't know, hopefully, uh, yeah, the finger will heal quickly and uh, we can count that down as a, another experience here in Central America. So has this affected your commitment to our marriage? How do you feel? Have you, lots of single ladies been uh, approaching you since you? Yeah, it's, I have noticed that. It's been pretty amazing <laughs> when I've been in the clubs and stuff without my wedding ring on. I've been, I don't know, I've had to sort of, you know, been able to pick up quite well. So, oh, no, yeah. it's... <laughs> Baby! It's like I'm single again. It's pretty amazing. No, we're getting that ring fixed. Yeah, we'll get the ring fixed. Um... It's kind of looks weird at the moment, but um, I'm being assured that jewelers can make these things look really normal, and then I'll slip it back onto my finger, and uh, it'll be back to normal. But at the moment, the finger has made a full recovery. They at the moment it looks pretty much normal, uh, apart from just a couple little red marks, which are slowly healing. So yeah, uh, yeah it was a that was. <laughs> okay, so what's next on the agenda for us? We are really close to Panama City now, I think like 100 kilometers away. Yeah, just, well, 120, so I think we'll still do it in two two days. I mean, I don't know, we don't want to really push into uh, Panama City late in the day. I think we just want to you know, get a, get close and then give it a good run and mm. get there. Mm-hmm. I've got to get a, um, a new back tyre. My one is totally bald and we're just relying on this bike shop, hopefully in Panama, to have secured me a Schwabler Marathon plus 26 inch times 1.75. Yeah, we met some um, cycle tourists on the road, some Swiss guys coming towards us on the highway and they recommended this bike shop. So it was really great that we ran into them because they said they found it very difficult to find a good bike store in Panama City. So. Yeah, the annoying thing is when you search Panama City bike stores, uh, bike shops or bicicletas, um, you get uh, Panama City in Florida, mostly on Google oh. searches. It's really freaking annoying. Oh, okay. But yeah, we'll be in Panama, and wow, you know, that's going to actually signal the next part of our trip, or this part of our trip, is over. Oh and then we have to try and work out how we're going to get to Colombia. Um, <laughs> we've got some theories, um, but we don't know exactly what we're going to do yet. You can't go overland. So you can only fly or catch a boat or sail. Yeah, we've ruled out flying. We can't be bothered getting our bike, packing them into boxes. We're going to go across the sea somehow. (laughs) Um, Across the land, it's just not possible. There's the thing called the Darien Gap. They've tried building roads there apparently, but it's just complete swamp land. And also the security issue, although it's much improved now, but for many years it was extremely dodgy. But um, there are actually a couple of Kiwi guys who, in the late 70s, they traversed the Darien Gap uh, with bicycles and machetes. And <laughs> that, that book sounded terrifying. Yeah, what was it? Into the Remote Places. I thoroughly recommend it. It was a really good book for cycle touring uh, in a way that I will never be able to do it. <laughs> 
thank goodness. All right, that's our podcast for this time. Thank you very much for listening. And we'd love to know how you are and where you are. So you can email us, howareyouwhereareyou at gmail.com or go to our blog, howareyouwhereareyou.com. Post a comment under the blog. Um, You can subscribe to the podcast there at uh, SoundCloud or iTunes. We've also got an interactive map. So if you want to see where we've been and we put a little daily summary on each of the um, stages of our trip so you can you know see what the roads are like or what happened on any particular day then check that out um, thank you very much to Callum Campbell for the original music in the podcast uh, Callum Campbell performs under the name Runtime and has just released his EP PB on Bandcamp so you can find it there if you want to find Baden he's at Baden C on Twitter or Baden Cycling on Instagram I'm Shelley M Campbell on Instagram and yeah until next time bye bye bye